all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Welcome to Cars and Comrades, your only communist car podcast. Here with us today, we've got me, that's Brandon, Bryant, Connor, and Zach, all he hims. Uh, do I have to keep doing this fucking voice? No, okay, I, we're I, done. I, I, no, no, that's that's plenty. Honestly, that's plenty. I went longer with that than I thought I could. Yeah. Good for you. Very proud. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're with us today. I'm, I'm, I'm over here making a fool of myself. That's generally what we do here. Yeah, actually, that's what I do in my whole life. <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah, so we have this time around. No, I'm Sorry, hosting. Fuck off. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have uh, not recorded here in a minute because we were all uh, busy doing holiday and New Year stuff and just getting our whole lives together as much as we can. So uh, does anybody want to start with car updates today? Yeah, I don't remember what we did last time. Um, it's, it's been a so month, so I think it's whoever nothing. volunteers first. I fixed my brakes. Well, no, I didn't fix them. I, I made them better, which means that now my front brakes work at all. That's An important. Im- improvement. One of the reasons I, I don't want to take a job offer that I have is because there's a lot of steep hills. And on the way home from the interview on one of the hills with my pedal to the floor, I was going two or three miles an hour and not slowing down towards a red light. <laughs> not and good. This, this, is, this is in my cutlass. I had to I had to slam my already malfunctioning and bad transmission into park, <laughs> and I could smell the damage that I did. Oh no! And then yeah, I don't think you're supposed to do that. I, I get home and I'm like, I should I okay I gotta check my brakes. I kind of felt like maybe my my brake shoes because it's front drums were Oof. so bad that you know they just there was there was no life left in them or uh, because I had been like riding them going down hills for the last two miles maybe i was just overheated the drums whatever nope not a fucking drop of fluid in my reservoir uh that would do it nice. yeah so my brakes work marginally better now and um as i was talking about off air but i'm i'm very excited about so i'll talk about it on air too i have decided exactly what parts i'm going to be getting and come spring i am doing a full Front suspension upgrade. That is tubular A-arms, coilovers, a new sway bar, all new bushings and hardware, everything. Um, Fuck yeah. All, On all the cutlass? Cut- yeah, dude. Hell yeah. I found a company that was well-reviewed, and we, their, their prices are really fucking affordable, man. I want to say for all of the hardware, all of the bushings, sway bar, tubular upper and lower A-arms, and coilovers is like 1500 bucks. What? And like That's it's fucking crazy, dude. I could probably shell out like another three hundred and get their fucking adjustable A arms. Like they're really yeah, affordable. Do that. Do that. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> I am for that money. No. Do it. I, I well, one, I pulled that number out of my ass. Uh, so <laughs> I don't think it's a ton more. But two, I know so little about it that, like, I know you guys have encouraged me to take this car to the track once I get all this done, and that sounds fun, and I would absolutely do it. It's not going to be a track car, and I don't need adjustable A arms. 
Like these, yeah, this you is you should, this you, is an A body specific kit. It is supposed to eliminate a lot of the problems that they had suspension wise. I'm just I'm just gonna leave well enough alone. That's fair. But what if you want to slam it and run that hella flush camber, yo? I was gonna say you can add some camber if you have the adjustable A arms, but okay. I don't. Uh, I I think that maybe what adjustable A arms means to y'all is not the same as what it means to me. You can still add or subtract camber from the quote unquote non adjustable. It's just like like these like there are literally like. Uh, the bolts in the middle of the arm themselves that have the left hand right hand threads so that you can um adjust it the way you would like ladder bars it it mm. adds extra adjustability beyond what would be in a normal uh a arm but like you can still like you know for, for for time immemorial people have taken these cars to the tracks and put the camp where necessary to like mm. run them on dirt or asphalt so like the, the, uh, so what, uh, adjustable I mean, what adjust- A-arms are for, like, very, like, very, like, that's that's once, uh, uh, like, double adjustable coilovers are no longer enough adjustability for you. Hmm. Gotcha. I okay. Or, 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 so is, this. or so is my understanding. Um, I mean, I could see if I could pull a picture up, but, but the yeah. gist of it is I, I don't know anyone who even recommends that unless it's a track-specific car. Huh, fair enough then. Yeah, and also like, I'm comfortable dropping like the fourteen, fifteen hundred bucks for their kit. That'll be probably what I do to the whole car for the year, besides like driveline stuff. Then eventually I'll I'll shell out for their rear suspension kit and box in my frame, do all that. I did price out a new frame, but I don't have twenty five grand sitting around, so uh, that's literally never gonna happen. Yeah, that's a little pricey. Okay. Actually, for twenty five grand, I can build a fucking like six hundred cubic inch big block Olds motor that would be super cool, and then have like fifteen grand left over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to reinforce the frame and everything. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm definitely not gonna do. Uh, I'm never gonna buy a frame, but um, I, you know, if I found a like uh, the old school way of. Inc- like increasing frame rigidity besides boxing out the frame you have was to find a convertible frame because they would oh, reinforce yeah. those frames more because there was less rigidity in the body itself so like old school guys yeah if, if they don't feel like doing the work they'll just find a convertible frame and drop the body on that I actually I, heard I, that I before I, that's i it, mean that's smart it makes sense because they obviously have to be, have more reinforcement that's it's good good idea i mean honestly it's wild to me cuz like i i don't like in, I think in a modern like like sort of monocoque frame, you wouldn't have so m- much like I, it doesn't feel like there's so much structure in the roof. Like they add a lot of extra safety stuff that makes the roof like incredibly structural. But that's like if you flip it, that's a safety thing. Um, but yeah, oh, no, no, I, actually, I mean it's it 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 adds up anywhere yeah. that you can have things connecting. Like if you think about like you take a metal frame that's just like a square frame, right? and you try and twist it, it's going to twist really easy. But if you make it into a cube, right, you add that roof, you're not going to be able to twist it no matter how many loose, how, or, or it won't twist as much, right? Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of rigidity in the body of a car, for sure. I, I mean, I met a guy who had a 53 or 54 Chevy, con, um, I almost said convertible, not a convertible, like a hardtop, that he literally sawzalled the roof off of. Like, did the work, made it look decent, but, dude, you could feel the, the frame flex when you got in the car. Like, because oh, yeah. he did nothing to the frame. 
And I, I met the dude in the context of he was at the mechanic shop, like, well, oh, my car sucks. And the mechanic's like, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck do you look, look what you did to this thing. What do you want me to do? Um, and they were friends. <laughs> yeah. But he was still just like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, I can't fix this. Um, yeah, so my yeah, old I mean, uh, Miata, my old Miata had what they call cowl shake, where basically you could feel the body vibrating and twisting like at a certain mile per hour. Like around 65 or so, it would kind of vibrate a little bit. Nice. So, yeah, it's a real thing. Well, uh, dude, I won't even get into old NASCAR stories I've heard because they used to do acid etch on the frame and oh, body. Yeah. <laughs> and they lose, they lost all rigidity, but they would also shave off like 100 pounds, which I guess in, in NASCAR, you're willing to sacrifice rigidity for 100 pounds. That will never make sense to me, but I it is wouldn't what it be. is. Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds terrifying. I think one of our real early episodes about Group B rally racing, one of them, one of the teams made the roll cage out of aluminum to, uh, to save weight. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, that car crashed and killed someone. So don't do that. Yeah, you know, again, I am not trying to turn my car into a track car. I just want it to handle better on the street so that I can be the asshole in, on the street that I know I am in my heart. Um, there you go like my suspension is so soft and my transmission is so bad i don't even really do burnouts anymore like i slide through a turn like twice a week as to where i used to it was like literally every turn i took i broke the tires free (laughs) now i'm just like nope I i gotta get to work tomorrow i better be responsible we need we need to do like a a patreon or something so we can get donations like help uh you know, hot riders in need be able to do burnouts. They've been <laughs> suffering from a lack of burnouts. Dude, I thought I couldn't do burnouts because my transmission was so fucked up, and now I realize it's because there was no fluid in my front brakes. <laughs> <laughs> and also because my transmission's so fucked up. It was so many reasons I can't do burnouts. It's, it's very tragic. But that that being said, like, I've also put the, uh, the car back together for the, my van, but I haven't put it back on. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I just, man, there's been no motivation. Um, it's been like 10 or 15 degrees here up until a couple of days ago when it got into the sixties, but has been pouring rain ever since. And it is just no condition for working on cars, man. Yeah. So I I do a lot of like, you know, bench racing sort of stuff where I like get online and pick the suspension kits that I want and all that shit. And, And I am very excited about it. And I did bleed my brakes yesterday when the rain stopped for just a minute because it got to 60. Um, it was, I can't it was like sixty five here. What the, other the day. fuck? It's January. Yeah, that's, yeah, that should not be happening. That's fucking crazy. Uh, maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe it was fifty five. I don't. It just it felt like incredibly warm. Like I mean, it was warm here, but we got up to like thirty seven, thirty eight. Like. <laughs> oh no, 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 dude. It was at. I don't remember exactly what it got up to, but it was minimum high fifties. Like oh wow, shit. It, it, right. it was that kind of warm where like when you're used to the teens, suddenly like fifty five feels like summer, and you're walking around in like a yeah. sleeveless shirt and shit. It was it was that dude. It was. I think was, in. I think in Spain the other day it was like eighty degrees. Fuck. So yeah, fucking. Temperature record. I, I gotta rem- place. I gotta. Yeah, I'm sure if I wanted to be depressed, I could look it up, and it was probably like 70 in the Arctic or something. But. Yeah, I gotta remember. <laughs> I gotta put my 401k contributions down. This is not going well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
my four hundred one k contributions are just like water purifiers and canopies. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I yeah, I bought a fifty pound sack of rice a little while ago. So <laughs> I'm just trying to build a car that'll kill me before I retire. <laughs> All good goals, I think. Dude, I like. I recently read something where fucking Gen Xers were complaining about how they don't have enough money to retire, and these are people born like when the economy was still manageable. Yeah, we're we're fucked, dude. Like, as the oldest one on the show who is still a fucking millennial, like, no, we are fucked. We're, I I'm here for it, dude. Like, I can't wait to watch things fall apart in real time. I mean, I say that more in, than like, they already the part. are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about waiting? Well, yeah, it's here I, now, buddy. I guess we are like. Inch, well, you know, lurching into a civil war right now, so that's that's cool. That's normal stuff. Oh yeah. So for anyone listening to you know when this comes out, which who knows when it'll be, but uh, we're at the we're at the point in the timeline where apparently there's a standoff at the border or some shit. So we're yeah. there, but Maybe. for a bunch of reasons that don't make any fucking sense. Like, yeah, incredibly stupid, kind of funny, very sad, also. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening to this when it comes out, you can look back on this time as a simpler time. Things were <laughs> nice before shit hit the fan. Yeah. The thing that's baffling me, and this this might not resonate because uh, this might tap into like just some stuff that I have uh, you know heard over the years or whatever. All of the border stuff, I've heard several people dismiss it as effectively just right wingers cosplaying military, like. And we all know those, like, wannabe operator types who have never seen a fucking day in the military but own a lot of gear that they wear wrong and own a lot of expensive guns that they can't fire for shit. And they're like, oh, it's it's all the cosplayers. And I'm like, I grew up, and I, I always, like, because, you know, I, I grew up in an era where, like, everyone was afraid of gangs. Like, people in the suburbs who were never going to go into the city were, were horrified that Bloods and Crips were going to inch their way into the suburbs where they lived. And, like, one of the weird tropes that you would hear was that, like, it's, it's the young people who are in trying, trying to impress somebody that are dangerous because they've got something to prove. And I only bring that up because it's a goofy – like, sure, somebody with something to prove is more dangerous than somebody that just doesn't care and is super chill, obviously. But to me, that rings more true now that you have a bunch of, like, cosplay operators at the border who are ready to actually start shit because they have something to prove, like – yeah, I'm. I'm more nervous about them as to where a lot of people are like, ah, oh, they're just they're just playing, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, worried. The, the fact I'm worried about the fact that this is a game for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm. I'm not one of the people who like. I, I'm all for clowning on them a little bit, but there's a point where I'm like, no, these people like they actually want to kill people. Like they're waiting for the excuse. Like you can laugh at, oh, they're wearing the gear wrong, and I'm like, yeah, but that bullet's still gonna fucking kill you. So like, ugh. I'll, I'll, I'll fucking condemn the military like everyone else fucking military sucks but your average fucking 18 19 20 year old in the military wants to fucking get out so that they can go to school or use whatever benefits that they get from having been in the military to get home and start a family and live a life and these motherfuckers on the border are trying to die for a cause they are like i don't think that they're going to be stoked when they're bleeding out on the fucking ground but the idea of being a martyr fucking gets them hard so be be yeah. Let's let's be real fucking careful with these with these people. This is a real far cry for me uh, fixing the brakes on my car. Uh, <laughs> but that's my tangent. Uh, I'm hosting, so I get to pick who goes next. And I say, Brian, what have you been up to in the last month? 
Uh, well, let's see. Um, I think last we left off, I had just kind of gotten my uh, Saburu running right, sort of. Zach helped me swap the turbo and um, put all the uh, um, vacuum hoses back on that had popped off mysteriously and was causing a, a leak. So I think I got the last one of those put back on uh, that, you know, it seems to be running okay. Like, it, it um, at least it doesn't have, uh, it's not knocking like it was for a while. Um, like, it was getting, like, pulling, like, three degrees of timing at one point, but it hasn't done that in a while. So I think we're good. Um, Sweet. Did you use the new I, turbo that you were worried about, like, the end play on it? Yeah, I used the less used turbo than the one that was on there. So it still will randomly sometimes, um, like it's, it's supposed to be doing about 17 pounds of boost. It'll very occasionally do 18 or 19, just like spike up and then go back down. So I think it might be um, like a clog or a, something in the wastegate actuator, or maybe it's just like a little bit rusty and not moving uh, 100% great. So I, what I might do is either, you know, try and clean that up and like maybe put a little bit of oil on it or whatever, or just swap it for the wastegate actuator from the other turbo. Because I think it's fairly easy just to unbolt that and put it back on. Yeah, that's a changeable part as far as I know. So Yeah. So I might do that. I also emailed the tuner guy that I was working with um, doing e-tunes, and uh, he hasn't got back to me, I think. Uh, maybe he's busy with other projects or whatever. So, Zach, I might hit you up for contacts on uh, Subaru tuners that can do an e-tune or something. If it keeps doing weird shit like this. Oh, is Zach into Subarus? I... <laughs> uh, for, for anyone listening, Zach is covered in Subaru merch right now. <laughs> I am. I'm wearing my Subaru hat. I got my Subi gang jacket on. I'm, I kind of like Subarus a little bit. Uh, we like you yeah. anyway, buddy. Ah, I appreciate it. <laughs> For all my faults. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've got that running good enough that I think I might be able to start working on my MR2 and take that apart and redo the suspension bushings and a few other things on that. And uh, oh, I also got my mountain bike fixed up and uh, put new tires on that and got that working. I got, uh, for Christmas, I got a suspension seat post for it. So, like, the... You know, underneath the seat is a little uh, springy cushion thing. So oh, that, okay. Yeah. That seems to help a little bit. Sweet. Um, and uh, what was it? Last week I helped... Um, I think I told you about my friend with the Camry that uh, had all kinds of issues that I was trying to help fix. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he's like, yeah, we put the... You know, last, last time we put a new strut on it because it had been crashed and the strut was bent. He came back and he's like, yeah, it's been rattling around. Um, you know, like it, it makes this rattling sound when I go over bumps. So I took everything apart again. And the um, the top hat, the top strut mount, um, had cracked in half. So I think it had uh, been damaged by the uh, crash. And then, like, you know, once I put everything back together with the new strut on it, just that last little tweak cracked it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, uh, there was basically nothing connecting the strut to the top of the, you know, the strut mount. Um, 
it was basically just the spring and the lower control arm holding that wheel on. Not great. So not great. <laughs> um, I've, I've so seen that a few times. <laughs> yeah. So I got a new uh, top hat put in there, and uh, it it works a lot better. Um, he was saying the other day that it had felt a little um, clunky or something like that. I don't remember exactly the wording he used, but um, yeah, I don't know. It might be like a CV axle or something, or just it's a 20-year-old car that has some issues. So I wasn't going to say. I think that's all I've been working on. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's also been cold here, so I hadn't, didn't want to go out in the garage or anything. Yeah, we um, all live in terrible climates to be car guys. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, best case scenario, I think I might have the best weather for it, and like six months out of the year, I get to actually work on shit comfortably. Yeah, it got down to negative nine Fahrenheit here. Uh, at what was it, the end of December, or beginning uh, of January? When was that, Zach? Yeah, beginning of January. Yeah, uh, I saw negative fifteen. Oh shit! Down where I am, but yeah. Shit, I was just in single digits and I was suffering. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah, I looked at my my heating bill was uh, I think three times bigger this month than it was same <laughs> month last year. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. I mean, that's that's even colder than we got. We we got down to like negative single digits, but not like negative ten or negative fifteen or nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it was gnarly. How how does a group of of car people not not one of us lives in the, a fucking climate that is suitable for driving? Yeah, Beats I mean, me. I don't know. All right, well, uh, as as since I'm hosting this episode, uh, apparently I'm picking an arbitrary order, and Zach is next. Oh, well, thank you. I'm going clockwise by who's on my screen. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Makes no sense at all. Yeah, doesn't matter. What have you been up to, man? Uh, not a whole lot. I haven't really done any work on my cars because I don't know if you guys knew this, but it got down to negative 15 out here. <laughs> you know, I think I heard that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I haven't been doing much, but I checked my oil the other day in my Subi uh, while I was filling up. Oh, you have Subaru? Gas. Yeah, I do. I don't know if I have talked about it before, but I have a Subaru. <laughs> uh, as you should. Always with Subarus, check your oil when you fill up with gas because they like to burn oil. Uh, and I look down and I have no air filter on my intake tube. Oh, there's just <laughs> it open just pipe off. velocity yeah. stack. <laughs> yeah, it was just gone. So I uh, I went to O'Reilly and tried to find something that would work. They had nothing that would work. I had an old air filter that I ran for a little while on there that was like really small, and I tried that, and my car wouldn't even idle. It was so restrictive. Um, so I ordered a new one online. It's supposed to be in on Wednesday. We're currently recording this on Sunday. So I'll have to ride like three days to work with no air filter. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Put something uh, plus, over it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll get some like window screen mesh and <laughs> tape it on there or something. It's better it's than so nothing. Easy. Yeah, I'm, I, like, just I, don't I, drive through a construction zone or rain, and you'll be fine. I'm yeah, I'm I'm about velocity sure. stacks. Like I've run them on bikes and shit, but it's still like you still want a wire screen or something to keep actual debris out of your motor. Yeah, yeah. I need to find something to stick on there because yeah, it's it's a little sketchy, and that's plus however long it was running without an air filter. Uh, you know, before I noticed, 
I was just uh, thinking it was breathing really well. You know, <laughs> you know, you know Zach, a wire screen and a hose clamp will get you a long way until that comes in. Yeah. Zach, I have a random pod filter in my crawl space if you want to try that also. I actually might. That okay. does not sound like a bad idea. <laughs> I'd give it a shot for sure. Because, yeah, I, uh, I don't want to be sucking up any actual debris into my motor. Because there is nothing right now between my intake and my turbo. So, yeah, a little sketchy. Um, so when I went to, uh, that being said, I, I did order a new one off the internet. Uh, it's like specific to my intake. It was $90 because of course it is. Um, but the site that I ordered it from said free shipping if you spend more than $250. <laughs> so... I went ahead and ordered a blow-off valve, too, because why not? Sure, yeah. I mean, rather than spend $15 on shipping, I might as well spend $250 on a blow-off valve, right? That's... I feel like we should do an episode just looking at, like, if we can find, like, sales data and, like, compare it to how their shipping deals were, because I know they've gotten me with that shit where it's like, well, I'll just, all right, well, I need to spend $15 more. You know what I really need is something that costs $400. That's the next <laughs> yeah. part that I need. So, yeah, that's, they get us with that shit. Summit, Summit Racing, it's just 100 bucks for free shipping, and it's hard to not hit 100 bucks, you know, so. Yeah. 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 I, th- yeah. I think this I counts also, as like, car guy math. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, because I'm a car guy and everyone here and listening will get this, when the whole girl math thing started, I got so mad. I'm like, no, you don't get to shit on somebody like justifying these little purchases when we're like... (laughs) (laughs) It's nothing compared to this. This is bad. This is actual financial, like bad decisions i spent 10 grand on this car i could drop five on it and make it worth seven or i could drop 15 on it and make it worth nine i think i'm gonna drop 15 on it that's that makes more sense me, me and my buddy figured out that i could actually rebuild my original front suspension from the ground up replace my stamped a arms everything for like seven or eight hundred bucks maybe nine i don't remember exactly and i'm like well why shouldn't i just spend the extra six or seven hundred dollars to upgrade everything yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it makes sense to me, but that's not And correct. that's not even car guy math. That's not like it's not like I'm saying like, "Oh, I'm going to cut out drinking for a week so that I can afford some fucking coilovers." It's like, "No, I'm going to keep drinking. Um, <laughs> I'm just also going to buy coilovers <laughs> and I'm going to buy the more expensive ones cuz that's what I want. Fuck it." Oh, dude. I do the worst thing ever. I'll have to spend money on something that I really don't want to spend money on. Like I got sick and had to go to urgent care. And it cost me $175. And I was like, that sucked. That really hurt my bank account. I deserve something nice. So now I'm going to spend $300 on car parts. <laughs> I was at the store today. I was at fucking Target. And I bought two towels because it occurred to me that I had not bought towels in over 10 years. <laughs> I've been using the yeah, same yeah. two towels for 10 fucking years. Since I moved into my house. But I buy oh, car parts so multiple, like... I buy major things several times a year and like <laughs> odds and ends monthly. Like, so oh, yeah, yeah, like I, I know, I don't even think that the girl math thing is, is still circulating on social media, but God, it just, yeah, it pissed me off when it, it came up. Cause it's like, dude, shut the fuck. Yo, gun guys, they're, they're, wor- they might be <laughs> oh, worse yeah. than car guys. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, my brother's a gun nut and yeah, I, I hear all that stuff. <laughs> 
I, I saw some gun guy masks like in in like an infographic the other day where they were like, well, this this gun's technically more expensive after you've bought fifteen magazines, and I'm like. Wait, wait, wait. I have, like, five mags for anything I own. What the fuck are you guys doing? Yeah. Yeah, I went down the gun guy rabbit hole for a little while, but it was really cutting into my car guy money. It's hard to be and both. So, yeah, I couldn't do that. I was like, nah, no more. I need I need car money more than I need gun money. You need to somehow combine the two and make a car that runs on gunpowder. Yes. You know that that or was, was a thing say, that they, like, original, like, early... Uh, combustion motor yeah. designs. They tried to make them run off gunpowder and could not figure that out. I have also seen motorcycles that start by using a shotgun shell. Are you talking about the Born Free build from this past year? I think so. Yeah, it was like a high-end show bike. That's the way tractors used to start with the with the shotgun yeah. shell thing. Yeah, no idea how that works because that just seems like it could just as easily blow the motor backwards as forwards. But whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't get how it works either. I just like it's cool as fuck. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and, like, there's a lot of old tractors that started that way. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all I got for my updates, though. Uh, still in the market for a truck. Haven't found one yet. Found a bunch. I have, like, 50 saved on Facebook Marketplace, but can't make up my mind. My The bad part of my brain keeps telling me to get a square body Ford F-350 Dually <laughs> because they look so damn cool. Yeah, that's it. Like, dude, uh, uh, the crew cab. Yeah. Yeah. Crew cab, long bed, dually with the 7.3 power stroke. Like, oh, man, it's so badass. I uh, th- um, I, ha- I had to – I got schooled on this one time, so I am going to correct you because I've been corrected. That is not a square body. That is a Ford. Square body okay. apparently implies specifically Chevy and GMC. Okay, fair enough. I didn't... OBS. Yeah. OBS. Oh, OBS Ford. isn't even square body. Square, square really? bodies, that shit that ended in like the late 80s, early 90s. OBS is the 90s and early 2000s trucks. Okay. OBS? Old it, body style. <laughs> it stands oh, okay. for old body style. It's the dumbest acronym ever. Yeah, yeah that's pretty it's, dumb. It's pretty yeah. stupid, but I, I think I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not well versed in this and I need to actually do my research before I go spending 15 grand on a truck, but I'm pretty sure I'm looking at OBS Fords, like the 90s mid to late 90s i'm fairly certain yes i guess they're not square body, but uh, see, I, they're I, a very square looking truck like the 70s and 80s like dually extended cabs that are like 30 feet long and oh god i, I do love those things I, I wouldn't drive one because i get bad enough fuel economy and everything i already get <laughs> the last thing i need is a truck that gets like six miles to the gallon uh, yeah but they are cool i i don't know they're why I, ex- cool. I especially love them lifted it's they're just I, they're so absurd already. <laughs> I'm the exact opposite. If you slam one of those on its guts, I just think it's the fucking coolest thing ever. A buddy like, of mine had a slammed. Well, it, okay, I shouldn't say slammed. It was it was lowered. Um, Dually OBS Chevy. And I don't. I forget what he said. You have to do, but he ran like literally semi rims on them. Yeah, like okay. you you have to mill them so that regular tires fit. So it, they actually are smaller. I, 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 he told me, and I don't remember, but God, it was, it, it, that was a tough looking truck, man. It was cool. Yeah. They're very cool. I also saw one for sale that had uh, a 7.5 liter gas motor in it and it had an RV cam in it. And, uh, huh. that made me want to make some bad decisions because that thing would be a monster. 7.5. Is that the 496? Uh, I can't math. 
that good, but I think so. Um, that the, sounds right. That that's the bastard child big block. Um, they don't make parts for those. I have found. I actually almost bought one of those for a project once, and then I found out that there was no. There's like one company that makes performance parts for them, so you can't do like it's based off of the Vortec motor. Okay, this was a Ford. Never mind. It's not a Ford Ford ninety six, oh. and I think it's the four sixty. Oh oh oh! It's oh, four sixty oh. Ford. Because yeah, it's not. It wasn't a Chevy. Okay, yeah, I'm, I I always think in terms of Chevy, so yeah, I'm talking yeah. out of my ass here. I don't know, Fair Connor. Enough. What have you been up to? <laughs> <clears throat> um, I've been up to not terribly too much on uh my car, but actually before I get into my car updates, I wanted to give a little shout out to a car club, real quick, because I want to do it before I run out of time and I'm talking too long. Anyway, so it's a club uh, that is, you know inclusive we'll say um it's friendly for lgbtq people it's friendly for you know people who are you know not white you know whatever the case may be it's kind of like a non-reactionary sort of club um so anyway i want to give them a shout out i'm i'm in it like on the facebook group and stuff i think they have a discord they've even got like a website with like slap stickers and shit actually really cool designs so do they have a name they do. I'm about to. I was just getting there. <laughs> um, so they're called Drive the Deviant. Suspense is killing me. Yeah, Drive Deviant. Drive Deviant is the name. Um, so I would imagine anyone listening to our show is probably cool for that. They're they're open to like allies too. So even if you're not like, you know, necessarily LGBTQ yourself, um, obviously feel free to uh, go go join up and. Uh, it's a cool place. It's a nice little community um, to hang out in. They're on Facebook. Um, I think they're on like Instagram and Twitter too. But uh, I'm a little less. I, I don't see the presence there as much. And their Discord is like where they started. So they also do some real life stuff. Um, and so like they're trying to grow into such a way that like they're having real meetups. They're gonna do like Pride at the Dragon. So at the Tale of the Dragon this year, they're doing oh, okay. a race team um, in the Washington state area. So like Western Washington, they're putting together like a little race team with a Miata and stuff. So, so anyway, they're doing some real cool stuff They're They actually are trying to have a club that exists in real life. Um, so more than just like a Facebook group. Anyway, feel free to go join them, check them out, go get their stickers and stuff. I think they're pretty cool. So, so I, I, I hate to confuse things. It's Drive Deviant, and this is different than Deviant's Car Club? Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay. Uh, Deviant's Car Club. Don't I'm not familiar with it. but I, I knew... I've met one guy that was in them. He was very cool and open-minded, but I don't think that that was, like, the nature of the club. Gotcha. Uh, which isn't to say that they were all, like, ignorant pieces of shit and he was cool. I don't know anyone else. I don't think that they were going out of their way to be inclusive or exclusive. Just uh, that was just the name of the the car club um i think they're north pacific northwest but i'm not sure gotcha um, um yeah no this is this is its own thing drive deviant um and it's just it's a bunch of cool people and obviously they're trying to grow so that like the more they grow um the more they can do right so there 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 are some like real life projects in the works with them um so anyway i just want to encourage people to go join to go hang out there it's a cool community um so yeah that's a good place to be so just wanted to shout them out i told them i would give them a shout out because i was like hey this place you know you guys are pretty cool 
So, yeah, go check that out. Went ahead and joined him right now. No, so. oh, fucking sweet. Discord oh, yeah. is not letting me do shit today, so. I am not in the Discord, but that's because I'm not, like, the most active on Discord anyway, but I should join there as well myself. But, uh, yeah, it's a bunch of cool folks. So, um, yeah, uh, very welcoming to anybody who would listen to this show. Obviously, there's a lot of crossover, a lot of, you know, lefty sentiment there. So it's it's a good place for people who like our show. So definitely cool. go check that out. Um, <clears throat> then, anyway, shifting more to where I'm at with my cars, um, I haven't been doing terribly too much over the holidays i took i had a bunch of time off which was really nice because i have a new job and i think i mentioned that i had a new job before but i got like two weeks off between jobs which was fucking awesome um and i i used almost none of that time to do shit on my car i used the last weekend before starting the new job to to start some shit and i was like well that was stupid (laughs) Uh, not that it was that much but so I, I the the project the main project that I I took on was checking to see get my racing seat that I have in the garage into the car, and I kind of wanted to just like mount it up, test it out, see how it worked, see if it was even like remotely feasible, and I don't think it is. It's it's a little too aggressive. It is like a real race seat versus like that's gonna be hard to get in and out of the car. It's just <laughs> I was like no. Is it a what what seat is it? So it is a Bride knockoff, and it is I okay. believe it is the GIAS three style. Okay. Um, so it's reclinable, but like it has like the 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 thigh bolsters on the sides go up really high, and that's kind of where the problem is. Plus, it is a, it's tight, which is good for me. Like it's it's good that it's tight. It's a little too tight. I think I need to be in a wider seat. So as a anyway, funny side. I uh, I hit the brakes real hard in the Cutlass the other day, and that was how I realized that when I put that driver's seat back in, I didn't put the rear two bolts in. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun way to find out. Just lean forward all of a sudden, like, oh, okay. It, you know, it's been, like, years. So it, it, it took me this long to realize that there were only two, like, the two front bolts holding it in. But I, I, I kind of got a kick out of it. I thought it was funny, but I am going to put those other two bolts on now. If it hadn't rusted to yeah. shit and won't hold bolts now. <laughs> um, a good idea. Yeah, so anyway, I, I tested out the seat. It was a struggle. I couldn't even bolt it all the way in because of reasons, but um, I, I put a couple bolts in there just to do it. Getting this thing mounted onto the fucking seat bracket, like, I had to do all kinds of goofy shit, and, like, I had, like, st- I had to use separate sliders, which I connected to the seat, and then I had to, like try and extend the like bar that like allows you to adjust the seat i tried to use like shit to extend it and using jb weld and stuff it was just it was a nightmare it didn't work very well um but i was like all right well, all this stuff can i even is this even remotely feasible and it wasn't so i was like okay enough of that effort like i don't need to fuck around it's just everything's kind of mismatched so i'm like drilling holes and stuff and like doing all kinds of shit and the other problem is um and i'd mentioned this before the where my seat mounts to the floor pan, the bracket underneath there with the nut uh, fell off the last time I fucked around with that seat. So I had it like right. precariously uh, glued in, um, and it was still very precarious when I took it out. Um, it held, it did work. Um, and then I went in under there and I cut in uh, a bigger access hole and I slopped a bunch of fucking JB Weld on there, which. You're killing me. Yeah, I know. Didn't <laughs> wasn't great. 
wasn't great, but uh, it held it a little bit. So it's just it feels very precarious. I don't torque that bolt down too tight. <laughs> is the is the key. If it really if it really does break though, I'll, I'll just go get like a fucking piece of sheet metal um, and have a nut welded onto it, and I'll just fucking you know figure it out. It'll be it'll just look a little bit different, but I can I can fix it if it fucks up. I just would rather not have to fuck around with it anymore. But it works right now. It's fine. Sort of. It's not great. <laughs> Doesn't it just It's like just you're... holding your seat in. I mean, it's just like where you have to sit while you're driving. Honestly, from personal deal, experience, right? you don't even, you barely have to uh put the seat in. Just don't hit the brakes that hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the only problem is, uh, you know, I, I I shift around a lot in that seat when I'm drifting. So, oh, I anyway, was joking. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's an issue, but it's not the biggest issue. Like it, it's fine for now. Um, if it's not fine, eh, I'll fix it then. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at. Um, but I've deci- I've started looking around at other seat options, and it seems like I'm probably gonna have to buy a couple of seats. Um, so I'll have to like buy them as a pair. And that's going to run me like a grand or something. So, um, whatever. It is what it is. But I do need a proper seat this year. I can't do another season with the stock seat. It's just not It's I'm, not holding I'm, me in place. I'm feeling the same way. I just got my sewing machine moved into my hobby room so that I could start uh, upholstering the bench seat that my car really deserves. Yeah. Yeah. Go. <laughs> it's good to have nice. good interior stuff. I, I'm just making I a would... joke because you're trying to get race seats and I'm swapping over to bench seats. <laughs> <laughs> upgrading my suspension so that I can corner better and then putting a bench seat in that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you might regret that. I don't know. That's that's a interesting set of moves. Um but anyway, so that's that's the seat drama. That's where that's at. Um and then there was one other thing. Um if you remember, I had an issue where I, I was putting in coolant into my car because I was running straight water and I didn't put like a ton of coolant in, but I did put a little bit. Well, it turns out it was not enough. Okay, it's fine. It's fine, but it almost wasn't like. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I forgot. I thought like, okay, it's fine. It looks like it's blue, right? It's fine. So I drove the car to work one of the really cold days where it was like single digits out. I think, or it might have been like zero. And so it sat in the parking garage for you know however many hours I was at work. And then when I came out, it was. The car started fine. It didn't keep running. It was a whole thing, but it. I did start to get concerned. I was like, hey, uh, these radiator hoses don't uh, have a lot of give to them. That's not great. That's not a good sign. It did work. I did get home, but uh, later I was like, oof, that was too close of a call. Um, I, I think I was maybe getting a little close into like slushy territory, and I, I should avoid that. So when I went to change it, um, I did notice that one of the radiator hoses coming off the water neck uh, had come off the water neck a little bit. So, like, it got pushed off. So, I didn't do that. Probably expanding uh, coolant uh, did. So, I also did... I happened to get one of those little um, coolant tester things where, like, it sucks up the coolant and it, like, has the little floating needle that tells you what kind of protection it gives you. Um, the lowest measurement it gives you is protection down to 10 degrees Fahrenheit. I was below that. So, um, it wasn't even that good. So honestly, I just love hearing when somebody is a more negligent 
car owner than I am. <laughs> I mean, look, I had coolant in there. I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's got probably oh, enough. Dude, I- I've run straight water and th- forgot that I had done that and then <laughs> was late to work one day because my engine was frozen. It wasn't so bad that I cracked my block or even, like, fucked up my radiator, but it did take me 30 minutes of firing it up, getting the temperature to, like, 260 fucking degrees, and then turning it off and letting that heat dissipate through the ice. And, yeah, it took, like, 30 or 40 minutes on the side of the road. I wasn't even getting to do this from the comfort of my house. Like, I was busted on the side of the road, and and this was one of my early vans with no floors in it, so I was just suffering. (laughs) Uh, Um. Yeah. So, so yeah, you'd be like, there are people dumber than you, like thirty-five-year-old <laughs> me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So it was, you know, I, I was cutting it a little close. Uh, is is the moral of that story? So now I have the proper uh, coolant mix in there, and I should be good f- for the rest of the season. But yeah, it was. Uh, eh, you know, make sure you check that. Don't be negligent. Uh, make sure your shit doesn't freeze. So um, hey, at least the hard lessons stick with you. Yeah, that that one wasn't hard enough yet, so I don't know. I might have to learn the hard way still. Oh Jesus! We'll the hard way is cracking your block. Dude. Yeah, I know. I don't. I hope that <laughs> yeah. doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but no, that's so. That's all I've had going on. Um, so not terribly too much, but just I got to buy some racing seats and yeah, I got to make sure I watch that coolant. But all good. All right. So that's where all I'm right. at. Yeah. All right. Well. uh as the host, I'll tell you today, we're talking about the Offy motor. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I kind of did that just, just so that there's like a smooth transition when we're editing, because I'm realizing that sometimes our, our uh, transitions can be kind of jarring and hard to edit. <laughs> uh, do we want to take a break real quick and, uh, you know, bathroom um, and... Yeah, let's take a quick break here real quick. I, I just, I literally am thirsty and have to pee, which... It, okay, you know, let's do that. There is a yeah. solution to that where I don't have to get up, but it's gross. <laughs> yeah let's not do that not on camera <laughs> oh if i'm doing it it's gonna be on camera oh, God. if i have to do it you have to watch <laughs> which is why i'm not gonna do that um Okay, for real now. Okay, for realsies. We're 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 recording for realsies. Okay, so we're back and we're gonna be talking a little bit about the Offenhauser racing motor, and uh, this is sort of continuing on uh, in the series of engines that we think are neat. Uh, that Zach started with the what was it Lotus something ninety something. Yeah, something. Okay, I don't yeah. Fucking remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a 907 or something, right? That yeah, sounds that, right. That sounds, the 907, yeah. I think. Um, it's the motor that's in the Esprit. Yeah. When, when you told me we were doing the Offenhauser motor, I, I got all excited because I didn't realize that it wasn't the Offenhauser that I knew about. But here Yeah, there's two different uh, Fred Offenhausers that were relatives, and it gets a little confusing. Yeah, it was like a Fred so, H and a Fred C or something like that. But... Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get um, that. But before we talk about Offenhauser, uh, we have to talk about someone named uh, Miller, uh, Harold Miller. <laughs> <laughs> so Harry Miller was born uh, December 9th, 1875 in Menominee, Wisconsin. I think I pronounced that right. Yep. 
and uh, uh, went to work at uh, Yale Automotive Company, one of those uh, small companies that didn't last very long. Um, and then eventually went to work for Automobile. Hell yeah. And uh, when he was um, he was building race uh, race cars for them around like 1906. That was back when they were new mobile. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was uh, it was actually uh, started by a guy named Ransom E. Olds. Um, so his, his first his, name was Ransom. Yeah. <laughs> beat me to it. That's right. what I was gonna ask him. <laughs> I think I, it's I one of those hold, like uh, I'd love to hold him to that. <laughs> he also lived at a time like that was a time when like you actually could legit get away with any crime you could be a bank robber and like that could be your profession oh i rob banks for a living i kidnap people for a living for ransom yeah hey, convictions ransom. were all vibes good based. marketing <laughs> um but yeah a little fun fact uh after he started automobile and i think sold it to gm he started the uh reo company as an reo speedwagon was he um, the, uh, yeah, he was the drummer, right? <laughs> Zing! <laughs> so anyways, uh, after a uh, poor 1906 race season, Miller left for Los Angeles, California to open his own small machine shop uh, specializing in carburetors. So he designed and built his own carburetors for race cars for a long time. And that's kind of where he made his money. That's where I spend all my money. Wild how, how the times change. <laughs> Uh, so this next paragraph has like about five citations needed tags on it. So just take this so with a grain bullshit. of salt. It's yeah, bullshit. Yeah. This is what I'm hearing. Uh, supposedly, uh, Miller invented the outboard motor and sold the uh, sold the patent or whatever to his neighbor Ole Evanrud. Yeah, citations needed. Um, <laughs> I mean, there was apparently... so much stuff to invent back then. It, it's it's feasible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Why did he give suppose- the patent to, to his neighbor? Well, he sold it I to don't his know. neighbor. Isn't that what? what he said? Didn't you say he sold it to his neighbor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was busy with carburetor stuff. He didn't have time for outboards. But his random neighbor fucking did? I don't, I don't know. That seems it's not random. It's his neighbor. He only has like five of them. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, apparently, he also produced the first aluminum pistons. Uh, and developed uh, alloys, aluminum alloys that are still used in engines today. And the first carburetors and induction system use Helmholtz re- uh, resonators, which is like um, what you have on modern cars that sort of quiet down the intake. So, like if you hear a, a, a you know Honda Civic with a real loud intake, they've removed the Helmholtz resonator usually. Um, so why is it called a Helmholtz resonator and not a Miller resonator? Because uh, because Helmholtz was the guy that uh, sort of invented or discovered the the physics behind the okay. resonance, um, I, I think. I don't know. That's what I remember from high school physics class. Uh, let's see. So he started making uh, actual full-on race cars in the ni- 1910s. And in the early 1920s, uh, he de- developed his own three-liter uh, engine. Um, I believe, yeah, this is a four-cylinder dual overhead cam, four valves per cylinder, inspired by Duesenberg and Peugeot engines of the time. Three liter, too, huh? That's pretty big for a four-cylinder. All right. Oh, it's going to get bigger. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) That is what she said. (laughs) (laughs) 
I honestly uh, like reading about this motor. The fact that it just remained a four cylinder for its whole life, it, right? I I didn't know much about this motor, and I was thoroughly impressed. So yeah. So he uh, powered. Uh, he supplied the engine that powered uh, Jimmy Murphy's Duesenberg to victory in the 1922 Indiana, Indianapolis 500. And then he also made uh, supercharged versions of his two liter and one point five liter engines. And this was, I think, when they changed the rules on displacement in Indianapolis. So they took four more wins in the 20s. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. They, they were winning a lot in the late 20s and early 30s. So I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the Miller 91 race car. And I'm going to put in the chat a link here. So you guys can see the pictures of this because it's pretty pretty sick looking. How do I do this? Hold on. So this is one of the 1.5 liter supercharged straight eight engines that he made with twin cams and four is, valves per cylinder. Is that like a shifter on the outside? Uh, I yeah, that's either a shifter or the brake. I think it's the shifter. Yeah, I think it's a shifter because this is front wheel drive, right? Yeah. So this is. I, one of the first and only front-wheel drive Indy cars. Um, this one is, uh, I think, 1926, I want to say. And um, so he, I'm not sure exactly. So his, his reasoning for making it front-wheel drive was that you could have the body mounted lower so you didn't need a drive shaft. Um, and nice. also he thought that you got better power out of the turns, like better traction coming out of the turns. But it's a, it's a really interesting design because it's still solid axles with leaf springs. Um, and it's got what later became called a De Dion uh, axle in the front. So you've got, uh, you know, independent drive shafts that come out of the differential um, with inboard drum brakes, actually. So you can see those kind of donut-shaped things on the front. I don't know. Actually, let me start over. So it's got a straight eight engine with a three-speed manual transmission bolted to the front of it. And then coming off of the differential on either side are uh, drum brakes. And then coming out of those are, uh, you know, movable uh, half shafts, like on a modern front-wheel drive car. And then it's connected to a solid beam front axle that uses uh, leaf spring suspension. So it's a weird combination of, like, old and new technology in this thing. Dude, it's really I, cool I love looking, this older shit because back in like the teens, twenties, and thirties, engine design and automotive design it was the wild west for 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 what it is. Because yeah, uh, you see it a lot in motorcycles. Like Harley was making like inline four cylinders and like flat fours and or boxer right. like inline boxer motors and stuff. They just didn't really know what worked, so they were just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Right and some like yeah it worked for this guy dude when we get to the power output of some of his fucking motors like you realize that he kind of stumbled on some good design for the era yeah so this was a um, like I said a one point five liter uh, inline eight cylinder engine with a supercharger that made up to two hundred fifty horsepower at eight thousand rpm and this is in like nineteen twenty six hold on and this is so, one point five liter straight yeah. eight. That's so wild yeah. to me. <laughs> Those have to be the smallest pistons right. in the world. What blows eight me cylinders at one point five liter. That's crazy. Honestly, a motor revving to eight grand made back then blows my mind. 
Like the stroke had to have been like half an inch. I mean, I think it helps that it was a. I'm sure. It, I'm sure it helped that it was a straight. Um, the, the cylinders were all in line. Yeah, no, that, I'm not talking it, about it, balancing, dude. I'm talking about piston speeds. Because like yeah. one of the things that we used to overcome like piston speeds in modern motors is metallurgy, but they just didn't have it back then. Yeah. It wasn't developed. <laughs> so, so like, if you want high revving motors with low piston speeds, you have a super short stroke. So maybe that like. You, it, it could have been like a tuna can boring stroke for for such a small displacement and so many cylinders. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's 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 a lot going on here, and it's I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling about it, but I, it, it's cool. It's it's genuinely impressive when you look back at that era and find somebody who was willing to like or who was able to come up with this sort of stuff. Yeah, and the rumor is that um, some of these cars made their way to Europe for races. And um, Ettore Bugatti saw these and copied the design for his uh, straight eight cylinder engine. They do look kind of similar. I mean, it's a twin cam straight eight, but that's pretty cool to have inspired Bugatti with your design. So, you know, we had the stock market crash in, what was it, 1929? Which one? And so, huh? I'm making a joke about capitalism failing every few years. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, they, they kept going for a while, but eventually Miller declared bankruptcy in 1933. Um, and he went off, uh, Miller went off to work with um, uh, Preston Tucker, who made the uh, the Tucker car that, um, you know, was kind of a flop. Uh, and also with Ford. So they were doing Ford flatheads in Indy cars. But he sold the business to his chief machinist, Fred Offenhauser. And also, um, who was it? The designer, the engine designer. I, I, I missed his name. Uh, Leo Goosen. So uh, those two guys bought the the business and moved the, you know, all the machines to a new shop and got everything set up. So they had this design that Miller had been working on for um, a boat engine for racing, uh, and they sort of developed it into. Um, this uh, this new design, which is a uh, four-cylinder, 150 cubic inches, so that's 2.47 liters. And uh, the first uh, time they put it in a car, it let it set a land speed record of 144.9 miles per hour. It is currently 2024, and with twice the displacement, my van will go half as fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, let me uh, let me copy another uh, link for you here. So this one is sort of a step-by-step pictorial on how the engine is assembled, and I'll uh, just sort of describe it as uh, as we look at the photos here. So the cylinders and head are integral into one piece. So there's no head gasket. There's no seam between the head and the block. Um, so you can't blow a head gasket. And you can also, that means you can also run a lot higher compression uh, or boost, uh, which we'll get to later. So the cylinders in the head are one part. And then the crankcase where the crank lives is uh, a separate part um, with, uh, with no like, like bottom uh, girdle on the bottom. It's, it's one piece that the crank goes in from the front, basically. So you take the crank and you bolt these bearing carriers around all the main bearing uh, on the crank. 
and then you heat the crankcase until it expands enough to drop the crank assembly down in there, locate those bearing carriers on some studs, and bolt them in place. So, and then you have like a, you know, like a sump cover basically uh, that keeps the oil in, and then the crankcase bolts to the cylinder block. Um, huh. I don't know if that makes uh, sense right now. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I'll, you know, I'll have and it barely makes sense. But yeah, it's it's certainly <laughs> weird. It's definitely unusual. I get what's going yeah, on because yeah. I can see the pictures. So uh, I assume if you're listening to this and you're unsure, look at the pictures. It'll it'll help. But it's it's funky yeah. for sure. And yeah, it's definitely different than most uh, engines are built, um, or pretty much any car engine is built today um, is built differently. So. Uh, and then you have separate uh, blocks for the, the cam carriers that hold the cams and the lifters. So those bolt onto the top of the head. And then one thing I thought, thought was interesting is there's no like shims or um, anything to adjust the valve lash. You actually have to file the tops of the valve stems to length <laughs> to, to make valve adjustments. Wow. Um, and then if you fuck up and cut it too short, you have to like recut the valve seats nice um so yeah they don't make it easy um but hey it's a race motor oh they just don't make them like they used to (laughs) (laughs) and then um like i said it's twin cam uh they made um versions that were two valves per cylinder and four valves uh most of the ones that you know were winning uh indie races later on were the four valve ones and the bigger displacement and then the instead of like a cam uh, chain or a belt to drive the cams, they have uh, gears. So there's like a whole bunch of gears underneath the timing cover lined up to drive the uh, the, the cams. I guess you know weight reduction wasn't uh, wasn't part of the equation, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think it's to just to be reliable, and also maybe at that time like gears and chains or chains and belts weren't really. Uh, developed enough to to be you know durable yeah to be fair i never trust a belt i I always like a chain (laughs) i'm like nah belt seems that seems like not a good thing to run your timing but you know whatever that's the modern world for for most cars so (laughs) as long as it's a non-interference engine it's i don't really care about a belt but if you're running an interference engine with a belt that's bad news bears because yeah as soon as that belt stretches or snaps and then you get valves into pistons and that's that's a bad day right i don't trust belts so i recently looked up uh the history of chain driven blowers and apparently that's much much worse (laughs) yeah (laughs) stories of a chain breaking and damn near selling the fucking front of the car in half and shit (laughs) i was gonna say what happens when that whips around chainsaw yeah yeah i don't trust belts so i buy pants that fit that's fair Zing. <laughs> thank you oh so one uh perk to having the the separate uh camshaft carriers or blocks or whatever they're called is that it made it a little bit easier to swap out cams at the track um like you could just unbolt the whole block that that holds the cam hmm. And swap on a new profile, basically. 
Um, so would they just like have multiple blocks and just swap out the whole mess in one go? Or that's my understanding. I'm not sure exactly how it worked, um, but it was like a. I'm not sure if it would be easier to swap out the cam itself or the whole assembly. Like, so one of the problems I found researching this is that like all of the information online was made by like 70 year old uh, mechanics like 10 years ago and like they didn't maintain their websites and like links are broken and shit. So like finding information about this engine is a little bit hard because uh, most of the people that know about them are either dead or uh, very old and not using computers much. Also, I found out if you want to buy one of these engines, like a complete engine is like thirty to fifty thousand dollars. I want to say, Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like. Is that to say that somebody is actually still just making these motors, or the ones that are still out there cost that much? If you can get one, there are people making them, but it's like you have to like cast the block, you know, like get these patterns and take them to a foundry and cast the whole thing. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I think the, the cylinder block and head is uh, cast iron, and the rest is uh, aluminum, basically. Um, so they made these engines through the 30s. Uh, the first Offenhauser to win at Indianapolis was in 1935, uh, and then they won again in uh, 37 and 41. But of course, they stopped making uh, racing motors in 1942 because of the war. Uh, and switched over to making uh, hydraulic equipment for the military. Which I kind of am disappointed that they didn't build this engine and put it in like an airplane or something. I think that would be kind of cool. This, But based on what I know, this does not jive with what you would put in an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> like air, airplane motors, for all the power they make, are surprisingly not performance-oriented. They like run right. low compression. Everything is about redundancy and just making sure that it will live forever a race motor is pretty much as far away from an airplane motor as you can get yeah i guess because like well i don't know i mean at indy you're basically running flat out for 500 miles like i think that would be a pretty good analogy to like a an airplane running flat out uh just i would disagree not because of like can the motor handle it or not but rather because of the stakes involved where yeah. if you blow up a car at an indie race, uh, you know, you don't finish the race. And if you blow up uh, your engine in an airplane over Germany, you become a Nazi hostage. Uh, <laughs> if you survive the landing. Like, literally, we, as we discussed, these motors are running, like, around, like, 15 to 1 compression. Airplane motors, I think, generally running something like 8 to 1. They're super low compression. They're magneto-powered. And I think they usually have dual magnetos in case one fails, like... It's it's not being able to run flat out. It's being able to run for a thousand hours and fail and continue running when everything fails. Yeah, that makes sense. So in 1946, they you know began production again, uh, but at this point, uh, Fred Offenhauser was um, you know getting ready to retire, um, and he uh, sold the the business to uh, Louis Meyer and Dale Drake. Um, who kept the Offenhauser engine uh, name, but they also put the name Drake on the business. Let's see. And then, so we've been talking about uh, Frederick H. Offenhauser Jr. Um, there was also his nephew, um, Fred C. Offenhauser, 
who uh, started um, a business in 1946 selling uh, speed equipment for engines. So like uh, heads for flathead Ford V8s, um, you know, intakes, uh, all kinds of cast aluminum parts, basically. And that's, if you see, that's like, the company I actually have a lot of feelings about. Yeah. And they're what, all bad. What, <laughs> what, what's bad about them? Um, everything. So from, from my understanding, like based on reputation, in the 60s and 70s, they actually were uh, an innovative company. They were coming up with intake and, and head designs and stuff that were worthwhile and were actual power adders. But, dude, if you, if you track down like any of the shit that they made in the 80s and 90s, a lot of it hasn't changed from what they're making now. And I, like, I, I literally uh, read a hot rod shootout just uh, doing some research on this where they tested like it was literally like a low buck. Like we found this on eBay for a hundred bucks or a swap meet for 50 bucks. Like they just compared a lot of, uh, intakes that they were able to find cheap and easily. And the Offenhauer one, they were like, Oh, this one is easily the worst coming in at a drop of 40 horsepower. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, uh, as, as best as I can tell, they're still running a lot of the, uh, designs. Like they're still selling a lot of the de- designs that were available in the seventies. Hmm. And they just, you know, it, it. my general impression, whether this is true or not, is that they were really innovative for a couple of two or three decades. And then they just rested on their name. There are yeah. because uh, there's I generally try and stick with small block Chevy because parts are cheap and easy to find. The few like oddball motors that I like, the one common theme across all of them is if you find an Offenhauser intake, don't run it. It's yeah. it's a it's a quick recipe for losing power. The uh, the exception seems to be that some of their intakes where they ran multiple carbs like, um, you know, three deuces or, or you know dual quads whatever. Uh, those had some gains, but it was usually low end torque rather than horsepower. Okay. So Makes you know sense. maybe maybe a more street oriented manifold, but in in general it just it doesn't seem like Offenhauer has held up in the last. 40 or 50 years i mean kind of to me seems like a a perfect you know capitalism story right (laughs) they had some success they and then they rested on that they didn't do they cut costs they stopped innovating and they're just like oh we have this marketing name and i will just put out any old fucking intake a box with some fucking runners on it and put our slap our name on it and 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 hope for the best and when the truth is they're selling junk and they know they're selling junk Sounds like capitalism to me. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I think of them as a vintage brand. Like, if you're wanting a yeah. period correct something or other, throw Offenhauser on it. I have never, I don't think I've ever run a single fucking part from Offenhauser. And, and nor would I. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, we're talking, this is the Offenhauser Sales Corporation that sold yes. intakes and stuff. So. The post-war years for Offenhauser Racing Engines uh, were some of the the golden years for them. From 1947 to 1964, every single winner of the Indy 500 was driving an Offenhauser. Every single winner? Yep. For more than 20 years. Jesus. Yeah. Dude, even if you throw in one or two exceptions, that's fucking impressive. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay, that's... (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And um, from 1950 to 1960, uh, Offy-powered cars achieved all three podium positions. 
for 10 straight years? <laughs> yeah. Holy oh, shit. Oh, man, that's crazy. Talk about domination. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, in total, Offy Powered Cars won the Indy 500 27 times. That is at that point, so, that's not even just it's faster. It has to be more reliable than all its competitors, too. Because, like, yeah. you can't you can't have that kind of wins when it's like if the if the thing is fast but breaking down all the time that is reliable Honestly, and fast i i think that the monoblock design that we talked about is the answer to both of those things it's when you don't have like it's not like head gasket technology was amazing in the 40s <laughs> so when they eliminated that as a failure point they're able to boost compression up to an insane degree without failure so like they have something that is more reliable while also running higher compression than probably all of their peers. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm and, assuming that's, that's the case, yeah. is they solve both of those problems with one, one simple trick. I, and I'll, excuse me, uh, I'll get to the performance here in just a second, but I just wanted to show you sort of a snapshot of the Indy uh, wins. So in 1950, you have to go down to uh, 29th place before it's not an Offenhauser engine. <laughs> so Jesus the top Christ. 28 places were all Offenhauser engines. Uh, number 29 was actually a Cummins diesel engine <laughs> uh, that did not finish. <laughs> oh, nice. Wait. Yeah. Wait, and that might, wait, we might do that on a future episode. How but, could uh, that not be the last? How does an engine that didn't finish the race come above anyone else? Well, I mean, like who lasted less time than him. Yeah. Yeah. So like number 14, they, they, um, you know, did however many laps you needed to get in 14th place and then spun off at some point. So like they didn't finish, but they still had, it's, it's going by how many laps that you do in, you know, the, the given time or the 500 miles or whatever it is. Hmm. Um, I think that's, Yeah. I, I have to confess, sense. I don't know how I don't know the rules there, but um, yeah. that is a lot of not finishing. <laughs> yeah. Didn't like maybe maybe you're going to get to this. Didn't they like go out of business and then their motors continued winning races for like ten or twenty years <laughs> or something like that? Well, yeah. So like people kept using these engines in like sprint cars and midget cars for like up through the '80s, basically. Like, they weren't competitive in, at Indy after, like, rule changes and stuff in the 70s. Um, but they kept using them in other racing series for a long time after that. Um, basically until you couldn't get parts for them, you know. Um, and now, like I said, they're basically, you know, museum pieces or collector things. Yeah, um, I mean, for something that was effectively designed in the 20s or 30s, for it to be, like, competitive in any form of racing in the oh, yeah. 80s is, is very impressive. Yeah. And honestly, like, if you put, like, modern EFI and a big turbo on one of these, it would probably be competitive in some racing series today. Like, at least, like, land speed records or something. I, mean, I, I know some of the power outputs that these things made, so I know we haven't gotten to that, but I'm, I'm already yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's impressive <laughs> numbers by any standard. Yeah. All, I'm hearing, all I'm hearing is that we need to implement this monoblock design on Subaru motors so they stop <laughs> fucking blowing head gaskets. It does sound like a nightmare to machine. Yeah. It does. 
Yeah. Yeah, but we have like 3D printing and like pop, you know, really nice CNC machines now. So I don't know. I feel like that's not an issue as much as it used to be. I I just wonder like what the you'd have to have some weird fixtures for machining this and you probably have a big scrap rate, you know, just casting the blocks. Um like I don't know, I've never done cast iron casting, but I imagine it's tricky uh to get the, all these shapes and stuff. But so they they built several different displacement engines and different cam profiles and different boards and strokes for different racing series and you could like, you know, different get different crankshafts, you know, bore and sleeve the engine to get different displacements. Um, and so they made a bunch of cu- custom stuff, uh, basically between um, 97 cubic inches and 270 cubic inches. So that's uh, 1.59 liters to 4.4 liters. 4.4. Um, 4. And again, nice. these are all... That's for a four-cylinder, that's, that's pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 1.1 liter per cylinder. Yeah. Also, no um, counterweight uh, counter shafts or whatever it's called. Um, the balancing shafts. Balance balance shafts. Yeah. Yeah. So these things would be pretty shaky motors. Uh, so the average engine was a uh, um, two fifty one point nine two cubic inch or four point one three liter, uh, and in natural aspirated form with a 15 to one compression ratio, uh, it would make 420 horsepower at 6,600. God RPM. damn. All right. Yes. Yeah. Can you say it one more time? That was, that was a lot. That's a 4.1 liter engine, uh, making 420 horsepower at 6,600 RPM. Yeah. So that's what just shy of two horsepower per cubic inch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, so these were uh, usually, I believe, running off of methanol or some other alcohol fuel. Um, a lot of them had Hillborn fuel injection, um, so mechanical fuel injection, and you'd have like a pump dri- driven off one of the cams for that. Yeah, it actually makes me wonder how much they would benefit from modern fuel injection because right. the old school style fuel injection worked really well under very specific circumstances, and it was these circumstances. Like, yeah, it's basically like it it runs perfectly at wide open throttle, and right. every every other condition, it's kind of struggling. So a, a little bit more on the racing career uh, in nineteen fifty nine. Like, are we going to talk maximum horsepower? Because there was one number I saw that yeah. fucking wrecked me. Do you want me to just skip to that part? Oh, oh, if if you're getting to it later, we can we can wait. Okay, I just... yeah, no, it's coming up in okay. a second here. I don't want to bury the um, lead. Yeah, let's go. So in nineteen fifty nine at Lime Rock, um, they had a formula a formula libre race, uh, which I think this is like you know sort of exhibition run whatever race car you have there uh this guy roger ward brought uh, an offenhauser powered um uh midget car and was like beating sports cars from europe around the the track and this is like a road course not an oval track so like you know solid axles actually turning you know corners and beating european sports cars so because of this that someone decided, hey, we should enter one of these into, into Formula One. Um, so they went to the 1959 Grand Prix at Sebring in Florida, uh, where uh, they were not competitive at all. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so it was the uh, the slowest uh, time of any car there. Uh, was it the just car design, or was there something about the motor that just didn't translate to a different style of racing? Or yeah, I'm not really sure. That's one of the other things I couldn't find a lot of information on. I mean, because I I, um, I would assume it's it has a lot to do with the car design being a midget car. I mean, the, yeah. is, is that what they really, actually race? Because if 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 so, yeah, obviously that car is not going to do great in F1. Yeah, and I don't know, That's like, what I but maybe I'm missing something. All I know about the Sebring race is from driving it in Gran Turismo uh, on the video <laughs> game. So I don't know. Uh, I, it's a pretty tight course, if I remember correctly, but it's also got a long straight. So I don't know where it would have been competitive, where it would have had trouble. Fair enough. So Ford uh, came on the scene in 1963 with their racing engines. And then the rule book changed a little bit in uh, the late 60s. So uh, by that, by the 70s, uh, Offenhauser was kind of losing its edge to other uh, motors that were more competitive. Um, but this is when uh, turbocharging came into the picture. So in 1968, uh, Bobby Unser won with an engine that made 750 horsepower at 9,500 RPM. God damn. Uh, from, How big <laughs> from was the a, motor? Uh, 2.75 uh, liters. Yeah. So that's uh, 168 cubic inches. Um, so, so less than four horsepower per cubic inch. <laughs> I guess that's um, right around three. Yeah. Yeah. So they were able to achieve a thousand horsepower um, with 44 pounds of boost. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> But Dude, yeah, I honestly so, like back then I didn't even know that there were things that made a thousand horsepower unless it was like, you know, one of those industrial diesel motors that displaces like five hundred cubic gallons. Like, <laughs> I thought that was something reserved to like you know, thousand cubic inch tank motors and 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 the likes. To to learn yeah. that in that era there was a like a two and a half to four liter motor making that sort of power blew me away. Now, oh, yeah. vintage, I don't. I don't really know a lot about vintage racing, but it it sounds impressive. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they were. I don't know what the. It doesn't say what the compression ratio was on this, but if it was, you know, fifteen to one, like the naturally aspirated ones, like, I don't know. You're making some crazy. I, pressures I feel like in those it couldn't cylinders. be. I feel like yeah. they had to lower it for that. Not with. <laughs> not with forty. No, pounds. they had to lower. It. <laughs> now, the forty-four pounds makes up. The metallurgy is not yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It sounds like they were making diamonds in the combustion chamber. (laughs) (laughs) So this, you know, got them competitive again. And, um, from 1972 to 1976, they won, uh, all those years at Indy, uh, with turbo motors. So the, uh, the final victory for, uh, Afi came in, uh, 1978 at Trenton, driven by Gordon Johncock. And then the last time an Offie engine race. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, right? <laughs> um, maybe it's like Coburn. Maybe it's pronounced differently. Anyways, uh, the last Offie engine to race at Indy, in the Indy series was uh, at Pocono in 1982 for the Domino's Pizza 500. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Which I'm sorry. Hold then, on. I just got uh, a quick aside. It's it's giving me off, uh, giving off like the sports advertising vibes that are just like way way too shitty. Where you're like, please no. Where like there like there's a baseball field that's guaranteed right field. I don't even remember where it is, but like <laughs> so fucking gross. That shouldn't exist. That's like if, if there's no other reason to overthrow capitalism, it's that. And like then I'm thinking of like the Formula One team, Red Bull. They're who like killed it this year, by the way. Knocked it out of the park. Red Bull is the team to beat. And their new name this year, as far as I'm aware, is Visa Cash App Racing Bulls. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Well, this is the eighties, so I'm assuming that they just had to go really fast to avoid the noid. The the what? <laughs> Oh, I was I wasn't sure if that joke was gonna land. The Noid was the Domino's like mascot for a period of time, and it was just this weird creature that was trying to steal your pizza or something. Okay. And so like their like little slogan was avoid the Noid. Got it. That's a weird one. Do, do you have you heard about Kenneth Noid? <laughs> uh he I'm assuming he didn't like the character and was annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> it's a guy whose real last name was Noid. And he saw all these ads, and um, I don't know exactly, I, I won't speculate, he had some mental health issues, and, um, like, took a pizza delivery driver hostage, and, like, there was a standoff. <laughs> I, I was going to say, so this sounds like when I see uh, Let's Go Brandon bumper stickers, and I get really stoked. <laughs> uh, but uh, I have yet to take any of those people hostage yeah. yet. They're not actually yeah, talking to you through the bumper stickers, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, it depends on my head, headspace. <laughs> you just um, gotta imagine that they're very encouraging people. Yeah, like, you know. They're yeah, just that's really a, hoping that you succeed. That's a good way to spin it. <laughs> I'm not about this, but Trump people really like me. <laughs> uh, so, like I said, that was kind of the end of Offenhauser being competitive in racing. Uh, they did go on, you know, they did. Uh, you know, midget and sprint cars uh, in the 80s. Um, and also in the late 70s, uh, Drake, the, the company that bought out Offenhauser, uh, they developed a twin cam V8 t- as a replacement, but it was unsuccessful. They had uh, timing belt failures and crankshaft balancing issues. Yeah, should have gone with the, the, the cam gears instead, you know? Yep. Uh, when it was working, they made 570 horsepower at 9,500 RPM. So. See that just sounds pathetic yeah. compared to the four cylinder making a thousand horsepower. <laughs> yeah. Especially when so. it's the four cylinder that you developed like thirty years earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or no, it would have been almost fifty years earlier at this point. Uh, I was trying to kind of uh, split the difference on account of the fact that like the thousand horsepower was was uh, turbocharged, so you know that did come yeah. along later. But yeah, I mean if they're still making like. You know, four, five, six hundred horsepower naturally aspirated, depending on the displacement. Then, right. But yeah, that's all I got on the Offenhauser engine. Um, pretty cool technology for America in the you know late twenties, early thirties. I, I have heard of this motor, but I, I really didn't know anything about it and never really thought anything about it. And so this was really fun for me to learn about. Yeah, this, this thing yeah, rules. me too. This was going to be uh, just a little like segment that we put in with something else, but then I kept going down the rabbit hole and was like, 
Wait, they made how much power? <laughs> what? <laughs> they made how big of a four cylinder? You know, it's also weird to me, like how so they were so dominant in the Indy five hundred series. Um, you know what I mean? And so it's like I wonder, like why it didn't catch on for more? Like why didn't we see more similar designs? Like for even for street cars like why didn't this just like become kind of like the standard when you win every race for 20 plus years on year 17 i think i'm making that motor for a street car that's what the camaro is coming out with right like that i'm wondering like almost why that didn't happen if it was maybe the cost or something but like there were design elements that they could have taken here (laughs) yeah well there was the um uh, I think it was called the Quad Four engine in the '80s that GM made. So it was one of their first twin cam all aluminum four cylinder engines. Um, it was in like a lot of you know ordinary front wheel drive cars, but it had very similar you know look to an Offenhauser engine, like similar valve angle, similar overall design. But it wasn't the monoblock construction. It was more like a conventional four cylinder. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if like. I, I, it's hard to say, like, what was the actual key, right, to their success? Like, what was the the element that, like, really set it apart? If it was the monoblock design, or was it something else? You know what I mean? Because, like, I can understand why maybe for streetcars, a monoblock design might not be the best choice. Um, maybe, it, I like, I don't know. We didn't see that, really. Um, also, so many of them were... were mechanically injected that that's never going to be a streetable thing but that doesn't mean you couldn't retrofit a carb to yeah it, so I don't... yeah and plenty of them ran carbs that oh, was okay. you know pretty common especially when they're getting success up until the mid 70s like that was early days of fuel injection they could have put fuel injection on the car at that yeah. point and it it does make me curious if the monoblock design was the one sticking point as to why these didn't get mass produced because like you guys said, like casting or machining that design has got to be complex, and I cannot imagine it would be cheap. And as we all know, car manufacturers are not going to do something that's effective it's not cheap. Yeah. Well, I, I actually went down that rabbit hole a little bit more, like as a, a side note to uh, the Offy motor specifically. And I guess like early casting technology made it, it made it like there was. I didn't understand it completely, but effectively, to be able to cast like water passageways and everything into your individual components was really difficult. And so this was this was a shortcut to making uh, the top end of the motor in a way that actually was doable for the era. And it also just coincidentally worked to eliminate a head gasket, so they're able to bump up compression so much. Um, but my guess is because it's so difficult to do the machine work for like boring it out, honing and doing any sort of work to the combustion chamber. I'm assuming it just was probably not a very scalable motor. Like, I mean, maybe not the most repairable either. Right. When, when you have a problem, it's like, well, uh, this shit's tied up pretty good. It's like, we're not going to take it apart and change out one thing or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, and you know, an IndyCar motor might be able to run hard for 500 miles, but it's probably not something you're going to drop into a car and run it for another hundred thousand. Yeah. Which, plus, I, they don't. Yeah. They generally don't in race series like that. They're they're big money teams. They're not re- they're not repairing those engines. They are replacing them generally. It's like when the engine blows, they like they tear it apart to see what went wrong, but they're not like, 
oh, we can actually just change out the bearings and like put it back and start. It's gone. It's in the scrap heap. So that that might have been less true for back then or in certain types of racing. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say, but because I mean, like nowadays, there's almost infinite money for some race teams. Yeah, like it's just you just turn the money spigot on. Uh, yeah, it, it sounds like it's like midget car racing. I I don't I don't know like that. I don't think that was ever a thing that was high dollar. So I'm assuming these engines were relatively accessible. Yeah, I mean, um, they were definitely like the top of the heap for midget racing. Like, um, but like I think there was probably like an Offenhauser class. Um, they they talked about how you know, the, the teams with the Offenhauser engines would, like, have to start, you know, a lap uh, after everyone else to keep it competitive. <laughs> um, Holy shit. So, wow. like, uh, I mean, there was other stuff running at the same time, like, you know, Ford Flatheads and whatnot in the in the 50s and stuff. That reminds in, me in of in, in the 60s and 70s um, in motorcycle racing, like circle track racing, uh, there was a penalty for running non-Harleys. Uh, yeah. because the Harley race motor was a flathead well like into the 60s or 70s. So it was allowed to be 750cc, and any overhead valve motors uh, were limited to 500. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and yeah, I mean, like, I think one of the reasons why you don't see this kind of monoblock design in, like, a, you know, production car today is, like, you know, for example, to change out the... Um, you know, to do a bottom end rebuild with new bearings on, uh, you know, any average four cylinder today, you take off the oil pan, undo the bearing caps, you know, replace all that, put it back together. For an Offenhauser engine, you have to take, you know, split the block in half, take out the crankshaft, you know, and then replace all those bearings. So, like, it's not an easy operation to rebuild one of these engines. I mean that's so that's akin to the Subaru design, isn't it? It yeah, it is kind of similar to Subaru in that way. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, nothing any of us have come up with has has made me feel like this couldn't be competitive in a modern sense. Because I mean, st- like, I don't give a shit about like the fact that you know they threw a turbocharger on there and were able to bump up the numbers so much. Still, to to have a four liter four-cylinder motor making a thousand horsepower under any circumstances is still impressive to this day i think that was the 2.6 that was making a thousand (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) i mean i almost wonder like yeah if you took design elements here but like you used modern technology modern metallurgy modern you know piston designs like what in like fuel injection and a you know like a good um ECU and everything. What could you accomplish with with a design like this? Right. Like, who knows? Could you get fifteen hundred, two thousand? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Re- yeah. Rev to twelve thousand RPM. <laughs> Fucking, I don't know. <laughs> um, I also did, like. I went looking for a bunch of like videos of these running on dinos and stuff, and they're all like real grainy videos shot ten years ago with a potato for a camera. So it's not really. <laughs> Given you much, but I did also find people that build uh, scale model versions of these engines that run. So, like, someone out there has plans to build like a 50cc Offenhauser, and I'm just thinking, like, what would that look like? Horsepower. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be cool on like a scooter or something. (laughs) 
But yeah, I don't know. Any any thoughts before we uh, wrap it up here, guys? I don't just color, color me impressed. Fucking like. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sick. Love it. I, I wanna like I wanna know more because I, I looked into it too and, and I didn't come across a lot of information that you didn't go over here. Yeah. I, I I'm curious, like why did they go out of business? Like um did they like kind of do the same like rest on their laurels sort of thing? Like when you're making 600 horsepower in a four cylinder in 1930, you really there's not anything driving you to improve. When when you win the Indy 500 for like 30 years straight, like by the time somebody is competitive with you, you're already behind the curve because you haven't really given a shit in three decades. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm genuinely. Like I, I wish that there was so uh, so much more information about like the business aspect. Like w- like yeah, why did the fuck did they go out of business? Like they were winning every fucking race in every class, shy of Grand Prix, like Formula One. So, and honestly, yeah. they probably could have won that too if they actually engineered to that you know series. Yeah, which yeah is, they're winning they a they they drive solid there. axle like. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, and one thing I did forget to mention is that I, I don't think Offenhauser ever did this, but Miller did make uh, V8 and V16 versions of the same motor. So <laughs> I think those were mostly boat racing engines. I'm just imagining that like anything over their four cylinder, like there was there was no technology for like a transmission to like not explode <laughs> the second that they're like, well, this is a uh, 1945, and we figured out a way to make uh, 3,500 horsepower, but uh, our tires yeah. instantly disintegrated, and our transmission is uh, in a fucking nearby zip code. Like <laughs> the internals have turned into a liquid state. Yeah. <laughs> I would just like to see, honestly, like, I think they should bring back, again, parts of this design and so that you could have, like, uh, an, Offenheis- an Offenhauser Prius, you know what I mean? Something like that, like, <laughs> a 400-horsepower Prius uh, getting, you know, 60 miles to the gallon. I think that would be cool. Let's write a, th- I, let's yeah. write a letter to Toyota. I will say, <laughs> uh, Pitt- Pittsburgh has one of, if not the largest, like, vintage race uh, weeks in the country. Um, unless I'm just, like, totally imag- like like misremembering how big it is. But I, I think it's a fairly big one. They have different classes. And, it's it, like, you'll see, like, things from, like, the 50s and 60s racing on a track here in, in the city. And I am definitely going to keep my eye out for fucking offy motors the next time I go. Like, nice. I am yeah. going to look and see, like, who is, who is doing that shit. Fuck yeah. Cool. Do, did they have any, like, provenance in, in, like, drag racing? Like, did they ever... Uh, not that I, I found, no. It was it was mostly just indie uh, sprint cars, midgets, um, stuff like that. I, I am not uh, jokingly all... going to cite my previous example where I, I'm willing to bet that the rest of the technology was not there. Like, there's there's just no way to put five or six hundred horsepower down on the dog shit bias ply tires that they had to their (laughs) disposal in 1930 and 40 yeah Yeah. although i mean if you look at some of the you know open wheel indie cars of like the 70s they looked pretty similar to like a formula one car they had you know independent suspension and aero and all that kind of stuff like by that time they had developed them a little bit more but i mean they were a little bit you know more primitive than the average uh, Formula One car at the time. 
I mean, that's on the team, not the, the engine. Like, the, uh, it right. wasn't Offenhauser building the car, right? Yeah, no. That, I mean, that, and some of that had to do with, or a lot of this story has to do with the racing rules. Like, you know, why they built it at this displacement, you know, um, why they set up the chassis this way or that way, you know, that kind of thing was based on the rules and how to win within those rules. Yeah, I saw something where they were saying even if, if you find certain motors, just just be mindful of displacement because some were common and you can actually find parts for and some were very uh, built for specific classes and you know finding a crank or cylinder sleeves or whatever that would be original for it are next to impossible to find because it was just right. an uncommon displacement. Cool. Very fucking cool. Yeah, fun stuff. Um, well, uh, Connor, why don't you uh, plug our social media and we'll get out of here. Uh, all right, yeah, cool. If you uh, hey, if you like our show and you you know think it's cool and stuff, we're on social media. So come follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're posting a little bit more, marginally more than we have in the past. <laughs> so we exist there. Um, you know, Hexbear. Hexbear, we are there as well. So you know, come follow us, rate, review the podcast. If you've been listening for you know a few years now and you think we're cool. Go ahead and give us a little rating, like five stars, or put a review, like, hey, these guys are cool, and, you know, whatever. They talk about leftist stuff, but racing cars, too. Whatever it is, we don't really care. Um, So go follow us on social media. Go follow the Drive Deviant Car Club, um, wherever you, uh, you know, find some space for that. It's a cool place. Yeah. So, all that. And uh, email us with ideas for what engines we should talk about next. Yep. Yeah, if you leave it to me, it'll just be a dumb V8 from the 60s or something. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. We gon' make you pay five to five, bitch. We make you pay five to water, bitch. We gon' fight riches and not riches, but we gon' fight the solidarity. We said we're not gon' fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we gon' to fight the socialism. Amazingly, or not so amazingly, Cuba's crime rate is one of the lowest in the entire hemispheres. Oddly enough, it seems that when people have their basic human needs met, they're less likely to commit crimes. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. The free market mythology argues that the most ruthless, selfish, opportunistic, greedy, calculating plunderers Applying the most heartless measures in cold-blooded pursuit of corporate interest and wealth accumulation will produce the best results for all of us. Through something called the invisible hand. (laughs) What are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you.